If your credit card statement is filled with the same recurring charges every month, you're not alone. Subscriptions are everywhere. What started with Netflix now covers all kinds of software, food, fitness, and clothing. For the most part, consumers have benefited from these subscription offerings. And now, investors are jumping aboard, rewarding companies that adopt Netflix-like subscription models. I'm Alex Yule. Welcome to The Readback. This week, we're changing things up a bit. Avi Saltzman is back in the studio, and this time he's here to interview me. Welcome back, Avi. Over to you. Thanks, Alex. I saw you talk to all sorts of people for this story all over the country, but you actually started the story right outside the door. What was it like talking to Don Ward? So Don Ward is a shoeshine man who has been working on 6th Avenue and 47th Street ever since we've been here. He's a very personable guy, and he's always mixing it up with his customers. And so I'd heard that he had this subscription offering for shoe shines, a platinum offering that he advertises right there in a shoe stand, $500 unlimited shoe shines for life. And then he also has a $100 gold option, he calls it, and that's unlimited shoe shines for the year. And what he told me is it's a way that he wants to reward his most loyal customers. And when I kind of pressed him a little bit and said, yeah, Don, but what's in it for you? He said, well, who doesn't want to get paid in advance? And I thought that was just really a nice way to explain how subscriptions can benefit both businesses and perhaps consumers as well. So now you're uh, basically getting all your story ideas from people right around the block. Is that kind of how it works? (laughs) I'd say the starting point for me came about five years ago when I interviewed the CEO of Adobe, Shantanu Narayan. And at the time, Adobe had gone through or was going through this really controversial transformation of its own with subscriptions. In 2013, it just stopped selling box software and it went to a subscription-only model. So basically, instead of paying $2,500 for each new full version of their Photoshop design software suite, people are now going to be paying $50 a month to use it. And they've since sort of lowered those prices for some people. But basically, it was incredibly controversial. Nobody is going to pay 50 bucks a month. Customers were angry. That's more than my internet. They didn't like the idea that they were now going to be renting software, not owning it. They're maximizing profits at the expense of convenience for the customer. How much BS is that? This is bad business. And Adobe said, no, stick with us. This is going to be good for you. We're going to really iterate the software faster, and it'll bring us closer to you. And they've really shown that they can provide, under a subscription model, better software for people and bring in new folks who weren't going to pay $2,500 but may consider $10, $20, $30 a month payments as a way to use the software. So it's done two things. It's both brought new people in and it's kept people subscribing, and Wall Street's rewarded them for it. Adobe stock is up 800%. So it was really kind of ground zero for the subscription transformation. And it showed that you don't have to be Netflix. You don't have to start a business from scratch with subscriptions. In fact, you could be a legacy tech company and say, we're going to try subscriptions and we're going to remake our business and improve the economics for the better. You know, that's one of those surprising developments on Wall Street. Usually you think, oh, you know, how are they going to use innovation to you know, take more money out of my wallet. That's something that came across in all the folks I talked to here. And again, I agree with you, right? Usually investors and consumers are often working at opposite ends. What's good for the investor and profit margins is often bad for the consumer. I think you really in subscriptions have this very unusual alignment between the merchant, the consumer, and the investor with a subscription are all kind of benefiting here. Adobe is a good example. Microsoft Office is probably a good example. Netflix, I think, is a great example where 
everyone wants the same thing, right? Subscribers want the best product possible. The company wants to make the best product possible so it keeps you subscribing. And then investors love it all because they can see the revenue for months and months in advance and they see that it's locked in. So it's just, it's really been a win, win, win. And uh, you know, Adobe now says that it has 90% of its revenue is, is, quote, recurring. Before this transition that they started five years ago, it was only 5%. And each month, each quarter, each year, they were really having to remake their business. Investors don't like that. And I would argue consumers don't really love that. I hear you on the win, win, win. But then again, you know, investors in a service like Blue Apron. Let's take a look at one of last year's high-profile IPOs that's getting absolutely smoked. We're talking, of course, about Blue Apron. The stock sinking as much as 4% on Friday, and now down 80% from its IPO price of $10. Maybe someone who really thought MoviePass was going to blow up. People <laughs> love this service, but it was too good to be true. There are models that don't work, it looks like. Not a lot of winning at Blue Apron, I agree. The problem for Blue Apron was that they just still had to spend too much money on every new customer and getting every new subscriber. So subscriptions on their own aren't going to create demand for you, right? And they're not going to lower the cost of your service. So if you're Blue Apron and you have to buy the food and buy the ingredients, in some ways, the more subscribers you have, the more costs you have. There's nothing kind of scalable about that. MoviePass made the mistake of thinking that they'd be able to spread their business model and their tickets over kind of the full base of people who go to see movies. But what happened was they started offering a one movie a day subscription for $10 a month. And it wasn't the average moviegoer that was signing up for this thing. It was people who really love movies that signed up first. And that just blew up their model because suddenly if you're actually going to seven movies a week, you are costing MoviePass way too much money and they can't justify the subscription. And you know, basic math still applies here. And so they now trade for two cents. I mean, that story's over. They're trying to remake themselves. But, but yeah, that just didn't work. There's another company now considering duplicating a MoviePass's idea, but it sounds like the economics could be very different this time. AMC Theaters, or AMC Entertainment, as the company is known, and it's the largest theater company in the world, is trying its own subscription. They launched it over the summer, knowing full well what had come before them in MoviePass and very sensitive of it. And so when they launched, they made it three movies a week maximum that you could see, $20 a month, and they're actually now tweaking the price a little bit based on what city you're in. So far, investors seem to be somewhat skeptical of that because when they announced their first quarter of subscription results, they actually had done quite well with it. They said they were ahead of expectations, of their own expectations. They had about a half a million subscribers. And investors actually sold off the stock probably because they were worried that, oh, God, this is a MoviePass 2.0. But I spoke to the CEO of AMC for my story, and it's quite clear they're being very kind of disciplined about this. Whether they succeed or not, you know, I can't say. But what I can tell you is they're spending a lot of time thinking about how not to be the next movie pass. I thought it was fascinating. You brought up in your story that there's a notion that Apple could actually thrive potentially in a subscription model. How would that work? So I think Apple is the real question mark here. And to me, the subscription model just really makes sense for Apple. And they have done it a little bit, right? I mean, you have Apple Music, that's subscription. Some people use iCloud, that's a subscription. Apple Care, which is a warranty, is kind of a subscription-like thing. But it's all piecemeal, right? And they haven't done a particularly good job actually running these services. So what I've kind of speculate or wonder, and, and there's been a little bit of that talk about this on Wall Street, is what happens if Apple, kind of like Adobe, just goes all in on subscriptions, right? 
And I think it really changes the narrative around Apple because the reason the stock has fallen 25% in the last few months is specifically the opposite of subscriptions. People are worried about how many iPhones they're selling. And that's kind of what a subscription can fix. So what happens if Apple says, all right, we're going to sell you the iPhone and all these services that we already do in one big bundle, make everything work really nicely together and charge you I kind of did some math and came up with a number of about $48 a month that would get you the phone and an upgrade every two years, along with Apple Music, Apple Care. Of course, Apple called me back and then never commented on the story. So who knows what they're thinking? But I, I think there's a good shot that this is something that's really under conversation in Cupertino right now. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. One of the things I like about subscriptions is you just set it and forget it, uh, which is also the really dangerous thing too. That's what that's what investors <laughs> love, and that's what the companies love. I right. think it is. You know, those whole auto renewal things when like you start a trial and it's going to auto renew yeah. a few weeks later. I do think there's probably a lot of that going on too, which is the less customer friendly thing is that you just forget. To, right. To I mean, I uh, embarrassingly was signed up for Netflix discs up until like six months ago. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> That I, you were I, the last person in the world still getting. I was paying them for yeah two years uh, and had not received a single one. <laughs> you know, is is there a moment of subscription fatigue? Is it does there come a point where you know the Discovery Channel says, "Hey, subscribe to this," and you're like, oh, "I already have Netflix. I already have Amazon. Enough with the subscriptions already." I, I think that's a great question, right? And 2019 could be the year we learn a lot more about that. Uh, Disney is very kind of now famously about to come out with its own Netflix-like streaming service. Are people going to sign on for that? I I don't know. It's going to probably depend on how much good content they bring to it. Like, is Star Wars going to be only on this streaming service? That might compel a lot of people to join, right? And we're going to have to see how subscriptions play out in our next downturn, which is probably now sooner rather than later. That's going to be the next defining moment for this subscription model is how do these things do in a recession. Thanks, Alex. This was a great discussion. This was great, Avi. Thanks. You can read the full story on the subscription revolution in this week's Barron's or, as always, on barrons.com. This is Alex Ewell. The show is produced by Meta Lutzoft. The Readback will return next Wednesday. <laughs>